Welcome to Faith Sermons and Studies with Pastor Joe DeVitro. this morning as we continue on our series of next steps. What are some of the next steps that God wants us to take in our spiritual lives? And uh, so as we started this series a couple weeks ago, um, we've been interested in what are the steps of a Christian? The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delights in his way, right? The, the Bible talks about that. There's a song written about that idea. And so what are the next steps? And as we've uh, talked about this a little bit in the last couple of weeks, I just want to recap quickly some of the main points and then ask you a question to follow up on last week. And in the back, there are uh, handouts and notes to go along with the message today. So if you want one of those, they're available there in the back. Last week, we talked about the difference, or two weeks ago, we talked about the difference between trying and training, right? How many have tried something and failed? Right? How many have trained for something and succeeded? You know, you ran a marathon. I never have, I'll be honest, I'll confess. Uh, I think back when I played collegiate soccer and, and high school soccer, I probably ran far enough to qualify, but I was conditioned and we trained for that back then to run. Today, if I were to run a marathon at 1.5 miles in, you would see me quit. Actually, I might not even make it that far. I tried to race my daughter in a 100-yard dash not that long ago, tore my left hamstring, and I'm still recovering from that, honestly. So I don't even think that would, I, I would make it that far. But if I were to be disciplined, train, condition myself, could I run a marathon again? The answer is yes. It's possible. The question is, am I that dedicated? And is there a reason? I, I just think the Bible verse, don't run, is one that beats the air. So I, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to run a marathon. I, I shouldn't say never, but I might one day not do it. So, <laughs> by intention. So, full disclosure. So, there's a difference between trying and training. The Bible tells us that we are to train. We are to study to show ourselves approved unto God. There is an intentional work that goes into the Christian life. And uh, so, we encourage you to stop trying and start training. And we talked about that a little bit in week one. Then last week, we spent some time talking about two of the disciplines. In order to train, you got to be disciplined. And two of the disciplines that come with a Christian life is Bible study and prayer. And we talked about those last week, but we didn't really uh, give you illustrations or an inference of this. And that's really what I want to do this week is how do we do it? What else can we do to grow spiritually or what practices, what practical application can we do to take the principles that we've learned so far? One, that you have to train, not try. And two, that you actually have to pray and read your Bible. Where could we go in the Bible to show somebody who did this on a regular basis? Somebody who was faithful in this, somebody who was uh, honest about why they did this, where could we go for that to happen? Well, Mark chapter 1 is the text I want you to go to today. And as you're going there and getting ready for that, I do want to stop real quick and ask you and follow up on last week a little bit and ask you this. How did your homework go last week? And some of you are like, wait a second, we had homework? I didn't know we had homework. 
What was the homework? Now you're like thinking, what was the homework? What did he say that we had to do? Remember the 15 minutes? Seven and a half minutes of Bible reading, seven and a half minutes of prayer, or however you want to slice the pie. You can slice it however you wanted, but how many, and don't raise your hand. I don't want to embarrass the ones who didn't, okay? Because God knows your heart. Besides, you did it for the Lord. You didn't do it for recognition today. So by raising your hand, you're going to lose your reward, so don't do it, all right? I'm trying to help you out here. How many of us would be honest with the Lord and say, we did that this week? And there was a discipline in that. And it took some effort. It took some intentionality. You had to carve out time. You had to be disciplined. But you were able to do it. And, and I'm going to go out on a limb here and say, you actually got a blessing from it as well. God spoke to you. God encouraged you. He gave you portions of scripture that you needed that day to do exactly what he wanted you to do. And you know why I can confidently assume that? Because that's exactly what happened in Jesus' life. That's exactly the one who went before us first by faith. That's the exact experience he had when he did it in Mark chapter 1. So I'm going to go to Mark chapter 1, and we're going to look at a portion of scripture here. And I want to, I want to ask you a question. How many, how many of you have ever felt like you have been just so busy? Right? It's just a busy time of year. It's a busy day. It's a busy, you know, season of life, whatever. How many have ever heard busy? And I've shared this definition before. Sometimes when we're too busy, we're being under Satan's yoke, right? B-U-S-Y, being under Satan's yoke, busy, B-U-S-Y. But I'm going to propose to you today that there were times and most of the time in Jesus' ministry, he was busy. And he wasn't under Satan's yoke. Okay, now, was Satan trying to oppose him? Oh, yeah, definitely. But he wasn't under Satan's yoke when he was doing it. So while this is a great definition for you and I today, because we can easily be put under Satan's yoke, right? Because we willfully put ourselves there. We grieve the Holy Spirit and we do what we want rather than what God wants in our sanctification. However, Jesus couldn't do that. So this definition would not apply to Jesus Christ, but is applicable for us, okay? But Jesus himself often in scripture was very busy. And I want to show you a day in life in the early ministry, okay? Now, granted, I've got to remember the timeline here. This is early ministry. He's only got four disciples following him when we enter into this passage here. How many disciples are there? Twelve, right? So he's got one-third of his disciples with him so far that are called and uh, let's look into the scripture a little bit here this morning. Wait, before we do that, though, I've got to give you a quiz to find out if you're busy. I have seven questions I want to ask you this morning. And on these seven questions, it's a simple yes or no, okay? Simple yes or no question uh, will be uh, what we're looking for. And you're not going to say it out loud, okay? It's not a thing for you to say out loud. But this is retrospective on yourself Am I too busy? In order to find out if you're busy, you've got to take a test, okay? Number one, are you haunted by a fear that there are not enough hours in the day to do what needs to be done? Is there too much work and not enough hours? Okay, if that's yes, then you might be too busy. I kind of look at this as you might be a redneck section, you know? You might be a redneck if, remember, who's that, Foxworthy? I forget who did that, but all right, you're not a redneck if these apply to you. You're just busy, okay? So number two, do you find yourself nodding faster and listening to someone else encourage the talker to accelerate their speech? 
Some of you are starting to accelerate your heads already. You're like, this is taking too long already. Let's go. All right, number three, when approaching a stoplight and there are two lanes, do you find yourself guessing which lane will get going the fastest? There's that big rig, and then there's the little Prius. Right? Which one are you going to pick? And you're sitting there waging what lane to be in to save time. Here's one of my favorites at the grocery store. If you have a choice between two checkout lanes, do you find yourself counting each person in line, assessing how many items are in their cart, and furthermore, then do you watch the line to make sure that you did choose the right one just to make sure you save time? Some of you are like, I don't shop. All right, I-94, Minneapolis, five lanes, which one you in? Right, same, same principle, same application. How about this one? Do you check work emails and phone messages at home? All right, some of you work from home, so that, that's fair. All right, I'll give you the, the five of you that work from home. I'll give you that one. Has anyone ever said to you, I don't, I don't want to trouble you because I know how busy you are? How about this? If tomorrow evening were unexpectedly freed up, would you use it to work or do a household, household chore? <laughs> if you answered yes to any of these, then you are a busy person. All right? So how many of you are guilty of being busy? Right? I think the majority of us. Um, so now, now some of you are sitting there thinking, okay, I know where this is going. All right, I, I've heard this sermon before. Yeah, I'm too busy. You're going to tell me things that make me feel guilty. So I'll confess that I'm busy. This has nothing to do with you being busy. Matter of fact, I'm actually going to go the opposite way and say Jesus himself was busy. And I'm going to show you in scripture how busy Jesus was. And by the end of the sermon, hopefully you'll see how busy he was, but yet he still had certain characteristics about his daily regimen that you and I need to implement into ours. Regardless of how busy we think we are, there are things because Jesus himself was busy. And in fact, we're going to look at a single 24 hour day in the ministry of Jesus at the beginning of his ministry. Okay, not the end. This is the beginning of his ministry that are going to show us that there was no denying that he got stuff done and that it was evident to everybody around him that he got stuff done. And a matter of fact, people would gather around to see what he could get done on top of what he's already gotten done to the point where the disciples themselves predict that he's going to be somewhere and then they have a problem. So even though he's busy, I'm confident that he would have also said no to every one of the questions that we just asked in our test. I don't think Jesus would have answered in the affirmative in any of these. One, because he's omniscient, he already knew what line to get in. Right? Number two, he already knew when the busiest shopping times were going to be, so he avoided them. Um, no, seriously. He would have answered no to every one of these. Because what drove Jesus? Time or people? And we're going to see that in Jesus' public ministry that he was intentional with his time. He was intentional with his energy. He was intentional with his resources. Let's dig in. Mark chapter 1, look at verses 21 through 28 together with me here. And uh, 
It says, Mark chapter 1, verse 21, And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, what day is it? Saturday. He entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had, what? Authority. And not, I love this phrase, and not as the scribes. They taught us, but they had no power. I mean, hey, you know, they just knew stuff. Um, and not as scribes. Immediately there was in the synagogue with him a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, what do you have with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Now imagine this morning that one of our town residents comes in the building and in the middle of me preaching right now, he just starts crying out and making a ruckus. All right? This is somebody everybody would have known. This is somebody in town that probably had some mental challenges because he's possessed with what? He's possessed with a demon here. He's a demon-possessed man. So he's in the midst of the congregation and he starts crying out in the middle of the congregation have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now, remember, what's everybody else in the room doing? They're marveling at what authority he has to teach. Meanwhile, Satan's embodiment in the room, the demon, cries out what? Through the mouth of this madman, for all better terms, that Jesus is who? The Holy One from God. All right? So talk about blowing your cover. And then it says, but Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. So this wasn't like a quiet private matter. This is happening right in the middle of the service, right in the middle of him teaching. And they were amazed and they questioned among themselves, saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even unclean spirits and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. Now that, that's kind of exciting, right? This is happening on what day? So when everybody went everywhere telling everybody what was going on, did they really care about the sabbatical traveling laws? No. They went where? Everywhere telling everybody what they had what? What they'd seen, what they witnessed. So, Saturday in the Jewish culture, not a day of working, but a day to listen to what Jesus was saying in the synagogue. He gets up to speak, he speaks, the text says the man in the synagogue. So this guy was unsaved, demon-possessed in the church, in, in the place where they're teaching. And he's part of the community. Maybe his name was Crazy Bart, I don't know. Whatever his name was. Jesus says, quiet, come out of him. The story of Jesus here is very extreme, but sometimes things that are urgent deserve our attention. Could Jesus have just blown this guy off and had him escorted out of the service? But instead, what did he do? He took the interruption. He took the interruption as an opportunity. Now, was Jesus busy doing something? Yeah. How many would get upset if I stopped preaching this morning, went out and shoveled snow because somebody was stuck? But if it was a divine appointment to witness to somebody, would it be worth it? Would it be worth interrupting the formal things of life to do something that was spiritually motivated and appointed by God to happen? I'm not saying that's going to happen because we don't have enough snow to shovel. Although this is about my endurance level. No, I'm kidding. You laugh. You have snowblowers too. But think about it for a second. 
the service is the most important thing, the preaching it. No, the most important thing was people. It was this man in the middle of the congregation possessed by a demon and Jesus cries out, come out of him. The guy starts shaking. He convulses, probably foaming at the mouth, probably all this stuff happening to this man. And in the middle of the busy, there was something more urgent. And Jesus stopped what he was doing, talked to the demon, got the demon out. It seems like a pretty normal day in life, right? Everybody's questioning what in the world just happened. And then they all go out and invite everybody to come and what? Come and see. By the way, what did the wise men do? And what did the, uh, the, what did the magi do and the shepherds do during the Christmas narrative? Come and see. Come see what we saw. Come see what, what's going on in Jerusalem. So the come and see is always attached to the work of God. By the way, if we're witnesses, what have we seen and what have we heard about Jesus Christ? And what should we do? We go forth and we should tell others what we've seen and what we've heard and what we've witnessed. So this isn't contrary to anything we, we don't already know. So let's go to verse 29 then. And immediately, okay, what's immediately mean? Right away, following this, so following this service in the synagogue on the Sabbath, immediately he leaves the synagogue, enters into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John, and now Simon's mother-in-law, by the way, who's Simon? This is Peter, right? Simon Peter. Simon's mother-in-law lays ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and he took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. And that evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. Now, what did they do? They brought to him who? All. <laughs> Did you catch it? Back up a verse there. Look at verse 32. All who were sick and all who were oppressed by demons. Man. But man, he's preached already. He's already, he's done all. Now he's healed somebody. I mean, how much energy does this take? Every time you do something, it takes energy, Right? So now, he, now all these people are being brought to him. All these people are being brought to be healed. And look at verse 33. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. Could you imagine the spectacle? Imagine all of Sock Center were gathered outside the doors of our church today. Right? This is, this is what's going on in what town? Capernaum. So this is, or Capernaum, or however people want to pronounce it today. Uh, this is in Capernaum. And, and Jesus just walks into the mother-in-law of Peter, re resurrects her, from, or heals her from her sickness, and uh, she begins to serve them. Now imagine being sick and then having to serve somebody. But she's not just serving somebody. Who's she serving? Jesus, Peter, Andrew, <laughs> John. <laughs> this isn't like a single party here. This is, this is a, a, a full conglomeration. Now, verses 32 to 34, it says, again, look at the words. Verse 32, that evening at sundown. So we have immediately, that evening, and then look at Mark chapter 1, verse 35. 
and rising early in the morning. Let's back up to verse 34. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew who he was. They knew him. So he's restricting them. And rising very early in the morning while it was still what? So how much sleep did Jesus get that night? So sun up, first hour of the morning, 9 o'clock, they're in the synagogue, as is the custom. They're learning Jesus' teaching. All day long, he heals Simon Peter's mother. The crowds are bringing everybody who are sick. All the demon possessed are coming to him. He's healing all these people. And then immediately following that, the next morning while it was, he slept for a couple hours. And then the next day before it's, before it's sunlight out, it's still dark. He departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he what? He prayed. I would argue that this is a typical behavior of Jesus Christ. And probably to start the day in Capernaum, guess where he was? By himself alone, getting ready to pray. I know like when I have to preach on when I get to preach on Sundays, you know, I want to be alone. I want to pray. I want to, I want I want time to process what I'm about to do. I'm sure Jesus did the same thing. He went and spent time alone with the one who sent him. And we know why he sent him. God sent his son to be the savior of the world. So Jesus understands what's going on. And he goes alone and he prays. And then I want us to see further on down, look at verse 36. I love this part. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. Well, who's everyone? That's the question. Was it really just Simon, Peter, Andrew, James, and John? No. The entire town is looking for you. And what's interesting is, or or what I find fascinating what happens next. Because here's the reality. I know you and I would make the same mistake Simon Peter made. Right? If you assume, if you get up early in the morning and you're walking around the house and Jesus isn't there, you're going to think, oh, he got up early to get a start on the day, he's probably already out there healing and teaching and casting out demons and doing this stuff. So they all go looking for him all over town. They don't find him. When they finally find him, look what they say. Everyone is looking for you, verse 38. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I might preach there also, for this is why I came out. What? Why would we leave Capernaum? Look at the ministry that's going on here. Look at all the people's lives that are being changed. Why leave here? This is where it's at, Jesus. This is where God is moving. This is where it's happening. Why would we leave? Let me ask you a question. Who was the only one that spent time with God that morning? Whose orders are he fo- is he following? Because he spent time alone with God that morning, he knew what the Father wanted him to do. The other guys are being motivated by the emotional and visual things of the world, thinking, because God's moving here, this is where it's at. And the reality is, no, the ministry is going somewhere else. And how do we know that this is from God? Remember what Jesus did to the demons? What did he do to the demons when they were being cast out? He made them so they could not... Because... He wanted the message to be more than the messenger. 
He wanted to validate the message more than the messenger. Why? Well, the one demon already confessed that Jesus was who? The Son of God. And if he's able to cast out every single demon, then who must this teacher be from that has authority? He must be from God. So what's more important, the fact that he's a guy from God or he has the message of God? And here the messenger is re repressing himself. He's pulling himself back to elevate the glory of God. Jesus himself is doing this. And Jesus himself also understood the difference between a good idea and a God idea. For a man, it was a good idea, man. We should get, build a church here. We should, we should make the revival happen here. And Capernaum will be the epicenter of Christianity for all time and all places. And God was like, that's not my plan. That's your plan. I like your plan. That's good. But I've got a better plan. I've got a better idea. The difference between the two ideas, Peter and them go looking for Jesus out where they thought he would be, Jesus went to where God wanted him to be. Jesus went alone. So let me, let me show you a couple of characteristics from the scripture here that are going to help us with our busy lives, okay? Is it wrong to be busy? No, not necessarily. Jesus was busy. We have to be honest. Jesus was a busy guy. But he placed people over program. He placed people over program. He also placed God's will over people. He wanted to do what God wanted done, not necessarily what man wanted done. Even though it was good for them, he knew there was something better. So let's dig into the truths that are mined out in this, that are hidden here, and let us mine out these things out of his word this morning. And the first thing I want you to understand is this. God is constantly molding us into into becoming better fathers and mothers, husbands and wives, better employees and followers of his, when we take time to listen to him. When we take time to listen to God, he will make us into better people. He will conform us not to the world, but he'll transform us into the image of who? His son. And some of the characteristics that we find in his son need to be in our life as well. And then one of the first things we see is that Jesus placed God first, even in his earthly life. Jesus made God first. He went to Jesus Christ, or he went to God as Jesus Christ and submitted himself to the God's will. Now, there are a couple of things, I think, from a human standpoint, we've got to look at this passage and be honest about. Number one, who doesn't like popularity? What was happening? Jesus came to have a following, and what was happening? In Capernaum. He's getting, a, he's getting a following. He's getting rock star status. I mean, people are coming, the entire town is coming to see the spectacle of what he's doing. He cast a demon out. Now he healed Simon Peter's mom? Mother-in-law? Are you kidding me? You know what? Never mind. I'm not going to go there. Can't do it. No, I'm not. There's a great mother-in-law joke he could have there. The entire town was mad at Peter. Why? <laughs> anyway. See, the Bible can be fun. There's, there's things there. Um, let, let me show you what Jesus was really about. He was really about spending time in solitude with the Father. He wanted to spend time in solitude with the Father. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, he left the house, 
and went to a solitary place, a desolate place where he prayed. Verse 36 there of Mark chapter 1. Jesus lived an inward heart solitude. By the way, you and I normally don't. We, we are normally not content. One of man's greatest fears is being alone. One of man's greatest fears is being alone. Our fear of being alone drives us to go where a bunch of other people are in noise. Who in their right mind would want to spend the day with 80,000 screaming fans in a stadium? And yet today, all across our country, and by the way, soccer games around, around the world and in Qatar today, what are, what are people doing? Craving to be around people in noise and crowds. You know, if you're going to do a big event, how many are excited when three people show up? No. By the way, if you do an event with three people, you're going to have more of an impact on those three people than you will 3,000 people. But because of our fear of being alone, because of how God's wired us, we want to be in large crowds. We want to be where people are. We want to be where there's noise. And from our smartphones that have all the world's facts on them to Facebook that you have 3,000 friends on that you don't even know who half of them are, it's nearly impossible for us to ever get silent. It's, it's, if our phone rings, we have to answer it. If, if, I don't know what that's doing. Just ignore that. Obviously, God wants us to give thanks with a grateful heart and give thanks. But God wants us to have the discipline of solitude. Our greatest fear is being alone. And yet, God wants us to be what? Which means we're still not but we're in solitude with Christ. Loneliness is inner emptiness. Solitude is inner fulfillment. You see, when we're alone, we're in despair. When we're with Christ, there's nothing to fear. There's nothing for us to worry about. For us, we must understand the connection between inner solitude and inner silence. The two are inseparable. God grows in us the ability to really listen when we train ourselves to constantly fill our minds with the things of God. By the way, the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy. How do you get peace? It's a gift of the Holy Spirit. We're okay being alone. We're okay being quiet. We're okay being alone with our thoughts. Because even though we know our thoughts are evil, we know who's greater than our thoughts. Have you ever thought a stupid thing? And thought... Man, that is dumb. What am I thinking? God's there in that moment. The second thing we can learn from Jesus in the passage is this. The discipline of submission. Look at verse 38. Jesus says this. Let us go somewhere else to nearby villages so we can preach there also. For that's why I've come. He came why? To share the good news. To share that there's a better way. It's almost as Jesus is saying this out loud only for the disciples to hear it because they needed to hear it. I picture the night before Jesus excited to go back to Capernaum. The disciples are back, excited to get back out there and do more ministry and, and, and have a great crowd come again. And they wake up the next morning. Jesus is missing. They're like, oh man, we missed it. Let's get out there. He's already healing people. And they're going around the town. The town's like, hey, where's Jesus? And they're like, I don't know. We were going to ask you, where's Jesus? Finally, the last place they think to look is where? Outside of town. They go outside of town and there they find Jesus. 
And they're like, Jesus, what's the deal? Why? What are we doing? Why are you out here? Why aren't we in there doing ministry? And then Jesus drops the bombshell on them. We're not going back. Are you serious? Why would we not go back? Well, because God's ways are not our ways and God's thoughts are not our thoughts, says who? The Lord. And Jesus Christ wants to submit to the Father's will. By the way, is there any greater picture of submission to the Father's will than Jesus Christ? He left heaven to what? Die for you and I. Remember the Garden of Gethsemane? In the Garden of Gethsemane, right before he's going to be crucified, Jesus had the inward strength to say this. Not my will, but thy will be done. Here's a simple way of practicing submission. Let me, let me, let me share this with you. We're going to read this section out loud together. And I'm going to put it on the next slide here. Hopefully it's there. I want you to say these out loud together with me. And we'll repeat the first line and then go back and grab each one, okay? Your kingdom come, your will be done with my life today. How many want to pray that? Make these prayers. Think about this. Your kingdom come, your will be done with my family today. Your kingdom come, your will be done with my job today. Your kingdom come, your will be done with my words today. And then finally, your kingdom come, your will be done with my thoughts today. Now, when you place yourself under the submission of God that way, whose responsibility is it now to help you do that? We have not because we, or we ask for the wrong things. This is, will God answer this prayer? Absolutely he will. Did he answer the Lord's prayer? Yeah. Jesus said, lo, I'll be with you always, even until the end of the age. That's in the Great Commission. So as we're going out preaching the gospel in the world, he says, I am going with you as you do this. We're doing this together. You're not doing life alone. So you need to spend time with your teammates so that we can work together to do the work that I've called you to do. And in order to do that, we have to be in a place of solitude where we can listen and understand what God wants us to do. But then we've got to place ourselves in submission under his authority. And this, I'm not asking for my life to be what I want today. I'm asking God for my life to be what he wants. I'm not asking for my family to be what I want. I'm asking for God to do what he wants with my family and with my job and with my words and with my thoughts. And here's the question, what are the odds will do it? What are the odds he'll answer that prayer? What are the odds that he will do that well beyond what you think he's capable of doing? And after you fully submitted all the parts of your day to God, now we can move on to the last discipline. So you need to have a time of solitude. You need a time of submission, right? And that leads you in to be able now to serve. You see, because who's calling the shots now? You or God. Who's leading you? You or God. So who's going to put you in the place of service that he wants at the time he wants and the place he wants? God. What did Peter want? Capernaum. Why? He had an investment in that town. What was the investment? Who lived there? Yeah, he had family in the town. He wanted that to be the epicenter and God's like, no, that's not how it's going to work. But let me tell you what I will do. 
Look at Mark 1 and verse 39. And he went throughout all Galilee. Where? All of Galilee. Preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. I call that service, don't you? So he spent time with the Lord, or he spent time with his father. The Lord spent time with his father. He went where God wanted him to go. And what was the result? Fruit. Service that actually accomplished the will of the Father. Jesus didn't finish his quiet time, check an imaginary box that, that he'd done his Christian duty and then went on that morning on a mission doing what he wanted to do. He submitted to the Father. He looked for the opportunities. He walked into each village ready to bless whoever he came in contact with. He was looking for people. I believe there are two kinds of people in the world today. There are two kinds of people. You can evaluate who you are this morning. They're the here I am kind of people and the there you are kind of people. Right? The here I am kind of people and there you are kind of people. Now let me, let me explain. The here I am person walks into the room and wants to make sure everybody knows the party has arrived. Right? They talk about themselves, find a way to make every topic revolve about around something about themselves. I'm here, everybody knows I'm here, there you go. Okay? On the other side, though, there's the there you are kind of people. And these are the kind of people who walk in the room looking for somebody on the fringe, somebody disconnected, somebody that's not part of the core group. They're, they're just kind of out there on their own, and they go out of their way to make that person feel accepted and welcome. Because they're looking for the people that are already there, where they are. They're not walking in saying, here I am. They're saying, there you are, and I want to be a part of your life. Jesus was not a here I am person. That's not how he operated. That's not how he functioned. He walked into a room and was telling the demons to what? Shut it. Don't speak. Why? It's not about me. It's about what I'm telling. It's about my father. It's about the one who deserves the glory, the honor. The there you are people ask great questions. They listen intently to what others have to say, what their spirits are saying. You might say it doesn't sound so much like a, a discipline as it does something that any good Christian should do, and that's exactly the point. Look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3-5. through 5. Check out what it says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Okay? Then it transitions. Who comforts us in all our... Say it together. So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any, say it together. With the comfort with where we ourselves are, say it together. By who? Think about that. And then verse 5. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. What does that mean? What are those verses saying? Or even better yet, how could you incorporate these verses into a discipline starting today? Take the things that you've been afflicted with and share it with somebody else who's being afflicted. And, and, and actually commiserate with them. And tell them that as the same God that brought you through your afflictions can bring them through their afflictions. But they have to give it to the Lord. They've got to give it to Him. You can't do it yourself. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ, we share abundantly comfort too. 
I made it through, you can too. What are the consequences if we don't do this? Well, I think there's two really that, that, that we see in our society today. Number one, there's a physical consequence. Over two thirds of medical office visits are due to busyness and stress. Think about that today. Two thirds of doctor visits today, two thirds are related to stress and busyness in our culture. And we throw medicine at it. Here, take a couple pills, you'll be okay. There are hundreds of billions of dollars spent every single year to medicate people who are addicted to being driven. Look how many big CEOs and stuff have drug addiction problems. Movie stars. If money was the cure of all problems, why do they struggle? Why is suicide a big, a big thing right now? Our model of life itself, the way we live, is emerging today's principal cause of illness. According to Joel Elks, the University of Louisville, he's a doctor, he says that stress is the overriding problem with Americans today. Busyness and stress. Anybody ever felt busy or stressed out? Two-thirds of medical visits are that reason. I think there's a physical consequence, but I think there's a bigger one. There is a relational consequence. When you study the top 10 reasons for divorce, for broken families in our nation, many point back to the stress and abnormal busyness as issues in the family. How many more busted relationships do we need before we place God first in our relationship? How many, out of our relationship with God, all other relationships are affected. Where do you learn forgiveness? Where do you learn unconditional love? Where do you learn to care for others more than yourself? Where do you find demonstrating, sacrificing something that you have for the better of somebody else? You see, the world doesn't teach any of these standards. And if they do, they just happen on them because they're biblical principles that society has grabbed onto. But when you're a Christian, you know these things are true. You know these things are right, and you know these things are beneficial. And if our relationship with the Lord isn't, isn't a big enough deal for us to spend time with it, I guarantee you nobody else will live up to that same. Nobody else in your life will live up to that same status. Everybody else, you'll place yourself over top of them. But when we submit ourselves, when we go into solitude with the Lord, we submit ourselves to him, he will open up to us doors of service that we've never seen available to us before. And they're right there in front of us. Because we get so busy worried about program and worried about things that we miss the people that God places in front of us every single day. Let me, let me close with one final passage of scripture. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Check out what these say. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not now, so now, not only in my present, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work or to do for his what? For his perfect will. He wills in you to do his will. He wants you, think, think of what the verse says. He wants you to do his work. He wants you to be a part of what he's already doing. He wants you to be part of the program. He's bringing you along. He says, I could do it without you. But I'd rather do it with you, through you, 
and by you. Not so that you would get the honor and recognition, because what was Jesus not doing? But so that the message would be validated by the messenger that it's authentic from God. What do you think Simon Peter, James, Andrew, and John thought when they heard Jesus say, we're going to a different town? This is a big mistake. Why would he do such a thing? They're not thinking spiritual. They're thinking what? They're still not convinced Jesus is even who he says he is yet. They're part of the amazed party, by the way. They're amazed that Jesus is casting out demons. They're amazed. Everybody was amazed at what he did to the demon. And then as they go from town to town and they see what's happening, and he's healing, and he's casting out demons in every town, and the demons aren't able to rebuke him or stop him or keep him from doing it, what do you think happened to Peter, James, and John in that process? Their faith got weaker or stronger? Do you think they spent less time or more time praying in themselves and learning the disciplines of Jesus Christ? You know what? We are busy people. I'm not going to deny the fact that we're not busy, okay? We are busy people. And I'm not going to try to guilt you into a relationship with Jesus Christ, although he wants one with you. Not just for salvation, but he wants to every day. Back up to verse 12 again. Look at verse 12 here, what it says. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, you're already doing this to some extent. So now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own what? Now, we could get tripped up, and we spent a whole Sunday school hour talking about this topic right here. This work out your own salvation. We're not talking about positional relationship in Christ when you became a Christian. This is sanctification. Since you're already saved, notice what he says. Therefore, my beloved, who's that imply? What's that imply? They're in the faith. These are believers. As you have always obeyed, not now, also in my presence, but much more in my absence, continue to do the things that I've called you to do for the glory of God. Watch. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Verse 13. Go ahead and jump forward there. For it is God who works what? You're not doing it. Who's doing it through you? And if God's doing it through you and you're a child of his, then what will be the result? His will will be accomplished, and whatever he wills will happen. Do you want to be part of that? There's your recipe. There's your recipe. Spend time in solitude, then submit to his authority, and then serve. Do what God wants you to do. Jesus says the will is not to stay in Capernaum. We're going to go into all of Galilee, and we're going to share with other people. We're going to heal other people. We're going to speak truth to other people. And we're going to teach in their synagogues. And we're going to go where the people are so that they too can hear. By the way, the commission that we have today, what is that commission? Stay in the church and wait for them to come? No, it's go ye into all the... Go. And as you're going, spend time with the Father in solitude. Submit to His will for you today. Not what I want to do, but what he wants you to do. And then actively serve where he leads you. That's the Christian life. So what is the next step for me? If I'm a Christian, I know I'm saved. I know I've got the Bible. I know I've got prayer. Well, then the next step is to serve. To serve. Not just in the church, but to serve outside the church. As Nike coined the phrase, let's say it together. Just do it. 
Do I need to pray? Maybe, maybe it's not God's will for me to evangelize today. Said no one ever. No, what is God's will? For you to do the work of the ministry. Train the saints, pastors, to do the work of the ministry. My encouragement to you this week is to go do it. Just like last week, I challenge you to go spend 15 minutes, seven and a half minutes in prayer, seven and a half minutes in Bible reading. And if you were able to do that, praise the Lord and God use in your life even better. I knew he would. Because his word does not return what? Void. It's not without results. It will result. If you spend time in the word of God, you will see results from that. However, you got to take the first step. If we draw nigh to God, he will draw nigh to us. We have not because we... God says in sanctification, you absolutely have responsibility. I'm not going to do it all for you. You have to take the first step. And when we do, what's he say? I am here. I'm ready. Let's go. And when we get on the same team with our Heavenly Father, who's going to stop it? Let's pray together. Father... Thank you for your word. I thank you this morning that we can study it. We can know it. I thank you, Father, that we don't have to worry about being busy or too busy, but we need to be busy about the right things. And we need to have the right thoughts when it comes to being busy and the right things to be busy about. And Father, just as your son, Jesus Christ, was very busy doing the things that the Father called him to do, healing, casting out demons, preaching, teaching. He was doing all these things, which are all in your will. But he didn't do it on his own. He did it after spending time in solitude, spending time in surrendering, and ultimately serving others. And Father, I pray this morning, wherever we are in our own spiritual walks, maybe we're here this morning, and Father, we've been a Christian for more decades than anybody else in the room. It's not too late for us to start this, this, these disciplines in our own life, to, to take a time to be intentional, and then to just do it. Be in solitude, surrender, and serve. Father, maybe it's, maybe it's somebody who's been a Christian not very long, and they're trying to figure out what is the next step. Father, help us understand the next step after the fact that we know that we need to train, we know that we need to pray, we know that we need to read the scriptures, then we need to just go do it. We need to do the work of the ministry. And as we do it, you will continue to teach us. You'll continue to lead us. You'll continue to stretch us. You'll continue to guide us in your way and in your truth. And Father, I pray for those that might be here or might watch on the video later on today or, or later this week or sometime. And Father, maybe they, they, they don't have a relationship with you. And Father, I want them to see too that you are exactly who you said you were. That you're the Father who sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. And that the very thing that Mark is talking about in this passage proves the fact that Jesus was not just an ordinary man. He was very much God in the flesh. And as Jesus spent time with his heavenly father, and as he prayed, and as he sought the will of the father, father, may we understand that the obligation is there for us to do the same. And we can't surrender to your will until we're part of your family. Father, I pray that if there's somebody that's watching today, we're sitting here in the auditorium. They don't have a personal relationship with you. That is, they have not gotten to a place where Romans 10, 9, and 10 is part of their life. They haven't confessed with their mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, and they haven't believed in their heart that they can be saved. Then, Father, I pray that today would be the day of salvation.
And Father, whatever your will is, we know that your will is not that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. And whatever your will is for their life, I pray that they would call on the one who is always ready to listen, Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that we would call on the name of the Lord and be saved. And Father, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that once we're saved, we can't lose our salvation. Your word teaches it so clearly that the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross, nobody could undo it. And even if Christ himself could undo it, the hands of the Father are greater than the hands of Jesus Christ. And nobody can pluck them out of their Father's hand. So Father, I thank you for the confidence of knowing that we have salvation. I thank you for the confidence of knowing that we can do all things through you who strengthens us. And Father, I thank you that we don't have to go through life in our own power and our own will. But if we spend time with you in solitude, and we have that inner confidence and inner peace that only comes through spending time with you, and if we surrender our will to your will and our thoughts to your thoughts and our ways to your ways, then the result will be that we are fully surrendered and ready to serve you wherever you call us to go. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. So Father, help us this week to implement these things in our lives. And Father, maybe we failed at step one. Maybe we're not training. Maybe we failed at step two. And we're not intentionally spending time in the word and with you. And Father, we're never going to succeed at step three. So help us to do the steps that we need to. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delights in the way. May we take the steps that you've shown us in your word to take so that we too can have peace. We too can have the ability to discern what you want us to do. And then we too can go and serve others for your glory, even in the midst of a busy schedule, as you've called us to do. So Father, help us to be motivated this week to do your will. In your name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.